This is Irish Stephen Bear from Deep Space Nine, and you are listening to The Shuttle Pod. You lucky sons of bitches. <laughs> This is Brian doing a quick intro to an interview that Kayla and I did a couple of days ago with David Sapone and Joe Cornbrow. You may have heard their names before. They have worked on a lot of the William Shatner Star Trek documentaries that you've seen over the past decade, as well as the DS9 doc What We Left Behind, Adam Nimoy's For the Love of Spock. And they have a box set that is coming out through Shout Factory called The Captain's Collection, which features all the William Shatner Hosted, fronted documentaries, the captains, the captains close up, chaos on the bridge, which is about the turbulent early years of TNG, and get a life, which is about the fan phenomenon. We're going to talk to them about how they made those documentaries, their own personal fandom, and some projects they may have in the future, including a documentary about Voyager and its 25th anniversary. We talked to them about that and lots more, so we hope you enjoy. David, you are president of your own production company, I believe, 455 Films. Yep. And you have, over the past decade, basically become the de facto Star Trek documentarian. It certainly seems that way, doesn't it? Um, it does. Yeah, after each one, I, I Joe can attest to this, I'll say, that's it, I'm done. I'm doing <laughs> something else, and then another opportunity will come. Uh, you know, like you get a phone call from Leonard Nimoy, and you don't... You don't refuse that as call. one does. Yeah, as one is one to do. But yeah, you don't you don't refuse that call. So yeah, it's been quite a ride, and and um, I think Joe would second this. What we really like is that we're fortunate enough to have our offices on the Paramount Studios lot, right above the stage where they shot from Next Generation all the way through Enterprise, and it's yeah. called Star Trek Alley. Oh wow! Yeah. So talk about like being in the right place to, to you know, the right headspace for these, putting together all these documentaries. It's it's pretty wild. Yeah, definitely. And and just, you know, driving onto the Paramount lot is, you know, for yeah. me, somebody who works in the business, it's always, I, I always get a thrill. There's just so much history, film history there. Not yeah. just Star Trek, but definitely a lot of Star Trek. I mean, that's the birth of Star Trek is on that lot, so. Yeah. yeah, for example, if you guys know, um, if you know the Voyage Home, which I'm sure you do, Star Trek Four, I park in the, what's called the tank, mm-hmm. the B tank, which is where they filled up, they fill it up with water, and it's where the Klingon ship crashes at the end, and they all jump in the water. Oh, wow. Yeah, and that's yep. still there, and that's it's called the tank. And that's yeah, the backdrop is, it, is, is still there, right? Is it used for filming at all anymore? It's uh, just a parking lot now. Occasionally, yeah. I did see yeah. it used once not that long ago. The only time I saw it fil- filled was for, um, I don't know if you guys saw the case of Benjamin Button. I was walking by one night and they had it filled with water and they were supposed to be the English Channel. Which was oh, I saw cool. I saw them doing one of the, like the last um, Transformers movie. Was uh, They oh, shot right. a bunch of stuff in there. And wait, I take it back. I also saw 
uh, Chris Pine and John Cho, they actually used the tank with mirrors to recreate where they're falling in the transporter, uh, where they're falling to Vulcan and saying, beam us up, beam us up. And that was all done in the B tank. It's pretty amazing. Oh, Very that's cool. so cool. Yeah. Yep. And the, the Roddenberry building is adjacent to the tank, isn't it? Correct. Yep. It's right there. Yep. yep. Yeah. That, that lot. I mean, I've been on the lot a few times. I think Kayla has too. It's, I could walk around that place all day. <laughs> it's just gorgeous. Yeah. I've only been there once and it was for the, this, the, paramount fan event which is this thing they did um before beyond oh, came I out. there yeah that was you that when they where they named the street after leonard yes yeah, yeah which was, was really great. cool that was a i wish time. i could have seen more of the of the area though i just got to see that little area where we were but it was really awesome to see that in any event i can't imagine working there every day that's so cool i actually have a replica they gave us an extra leonard nimoy way sign i have it in my office that's oh, that's cool. Time that they wow. Yeah, because at the time, Adam Nimoy was with us. You know, we were working yeah. for the Love of Spock. I was, um, the, the the team that did for the Love of Spock, they were all there, except for myself, because uh, aside from my producing work with, with Dave, I also uh, work at a, a, a film advertising agency, and uh, the company that I work for had, had filmed that, and I was actually back at their offices oh, that's right. to help. Uh, uh, I was in editing. I was coloring, doing color correction, and getting it ready to get out to the world <laughs> for the, like the, to get it out overnight, uh, early morning, six a.m. So I was shuttling through all the footage, and I see uh, Dave and and Kai and Luke and Adam there. So that was a, a fun, ironic, movie. yeah. <laughs> Well, everybody had fun. I, I, I was getting paid, but I don't know if it was fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, um, you guys are more than just, you know, filmmakers and producers and editors. You're Trek fans. So how do you get to the point? I mean, you guys have pretty unique jobs um, within any sphere, even within the Trek sphere, within the filmmaking sphere. How do you go from, you know, someone who's a Star Trek fan and who's in the film world to the jobs that you guys have to having worked on all of these um, documentaries? Well, I, I guess I should probably answer that first. Um, yeah, I was a Star Trek fan since I was eight years old. I mean, a little kid watching it, mm-hmm. growing up around New York and watching it after school and then went to college, became a film major and eventually made my way out to Hollywood and was working for a production company And I was fortunate enough to get tickets. I was given tickets to William Shatner's charity horse show, Mm -hmm. which he still does to this day, except for Mm -hmm. this year, of course, because of the pandemic. But each year he raises about half a million dollars for children's charities. And so I went, and that's the first time I ever met him, uh, just briefly. And then he called the next year, he calls the previous year's ticket buyers. And he called and said, hey, you know, will you guys buy tickets again this year? And we had investors in our offices. By the way, this was taking place at Raleigh Studios, which is my old office, which is right across the street from Paramount. And we said, uh, the investors said, I'm a huge Shatner fan. I'll donate a $25,000 item for his auction. Whoa. Wow. Yeah. This was great. So we ended up getting a whole table. And as a thank you. 
he invited myself and my producing partner at the time, Kimberly Cates, down to the set of Boston Legal. Oh, cool. So how cool is that? I, I'm like, oh, this man. Is beyond. Here he is, yeah. Denny Crane. And I driving down there, I said to Kimberly, I said, you know, Shatner is always working. He's always thinking. He's always doing mm-hmm. something. We need to say to him right away that we are producers and we have offices. And actually, we had an editing room at Paramount. I said, we should say we are producers. We work at Paramount. Do you, got, do you have any projects? <laughs> sure enough, he did. He said, I have this ballet, this gonzo ballet. Uh-huh. That my record has been. I don't know what to do with it. So he gave it to us. I mean, this is Shatner. He didn't know who I was, just really, this is our first meeting. And somehow he, he just, he's willing to take chances. And he hmm. gave us the doc and we totally retooled it, re-interviewed him, brought in a guy named Kevin Lane, who has been with me through all these documentaries, a DP and a producer. And we ended up creating an award-winning documentary called Gonzo Ballet, which is on the box set. And it was our first film, and we won awards. We were at the Nashville Film Festival, Marbella, Spain, uh, San Diego, great reviews. So that's what got the train rolling. That's awesome. then just from there, you were the go-to guy, or you became that. Well, then it was Bill and I sitting around in his office, kicking around, what should we do next? And we said, what about the captains? What if we just do a documentary on all the guys and, and women that played starship captains? And that's how that that came about. Just an idea. <laughs> so, Joe, what about you? You know, how did, have you been a fan your whole life? How did you get involved with the documentaries? You know, tell us a little about yourself. Well, my, my earliest Star Trek memory was probably, I was about four, and I, my mom and I would watch TV together. And uh, I remember the one that, the first Star Trek episode that I remember is uh, an episode from the second season called By Any Other Name. Uh, and in it, uh, these aliens take control of the Enterprise, and they... T- take two red shirts and they turn them into these cubes of uh, with no water uh-huh. as their their essence, and then the leader alien he crushes one of them, and that just freaked me out. <laughs> I, I vividly remember that. I knew exactly that 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 person was not coming back, and I was devastated. But Anyways, from that, I, I so I grew up on not watching obviously in the first run, but uh, as a as a kid in the seventies, Star Trek was on all the time, mm-hmm. and I watched it all the time. You know, I also watched Twilight Zone and Outer Limits, and I'm I'm a fan of sci-fi in, in general, and I grew up, you know, member uh, membership to the Isaac Asimov uh, book club, and, and uh, also a big fantasy guy with like Lord of the Rings and. And uh, P.S. Uh, or C.S. Lewis and things like that. Um, and I, uh, I started out as much like Dave did actually before he was a producer as acting, and I was a I acted as a child a lot. And, and then uh, when I was in college, I decided I liked being behind the camera more, and so I and I took a uh, um, a liking to editing and directing. But I've made my career for the last. Uh, almost 30 years as an editor and how i met dave was uh it was after the captains had come out 
and being at Paramount, Dave being at Paramount, he uh, used to know, uh, well, he still does, he still knows these guys, uh, a couple colleagues of mine, good friends that uh, are editors at Paramount. And uh, Dave asked him if they knew anybody uh, who could help him with his uh, workload. And he, uh, and uh, Don and Drew uh, recommended me to Dave. And it's and a direct that, result, by the way, Joe, of, of, of Bill Shatner's just indefatigable uh, drive. I mean, he, from the captains, we were then commissioned, Bill convinced uh, Epix, who was the production company that did the network that produced the captains for us, um, convinced them to do a five-episode spinoff series called The Captain's Close-Ups. Right which are five individual episodes uh, specific on each captain. Mm -hmm. And then he also convinced the Canadian broadcaster to do another spinoff with just himself and Christopher Plummer called Still Kicking, which is also on the box set. Yes, it is. And that's because the two of them came up together in Canada. So here I was faced with all of these things, and I just said to Don and Drew, you guys know an editor who could handle this, and thank God they, uh, they introduced me to Joe. Yeah, and uh, so my first my my first gig with Dave and Kevin was to come in and do uh, put together a a three camera interview between Shatner and Plummer uh-huh. and make it a half hour show, and they, you know I thought it would be I'd be working with them for about three weeks, and uh, twelve or not twelve eight years later I'm still here, <laughs> but funny uh, how that that was a out. lot of fun. <laughs> I got to tell you that particular documentary you're referring to, which is called Still Kicking, mm-hmm. might be my favorite thing on the entire set. Um, really? Yeah. Oh, I, it, it, and it's because Bill Shatner seems so at ease and is enjoying oh. himself just completely. Being back in Stratford, reminiscing with Christopher Plummer, going into the archives at Stratford, yeah. and just like... Like most of the time when he's doing these documentaries, he's very in host mode. You know, he's got to ask questions and he's got to follow up on things. And it's more of a traditional interview format in that sense. When he was with Plummer, it was just like two old friends just reminiscing about the past. And like the, the, his demeanor is he's so relaxed, Shatner went during yeah. it. And it, like, I think I would like to see him. And I even wrote this in my review on the site. I would love to see him do more things like that, like going back into his past and examining, you know, things that he did, you know, he was in the golden age of television. He worked, you know, yeah. I mean, he worked, you know, he was worked with Stanley Kramer with judgment at Nuremberg. He was in the brothers. Mm-hmm. I mean, the guy has had an incredible life Yeah, and he could easily just go back and relive whole sections of his careers. And I think people would love it. Well, I'm really glad that you, I agree. you uh, singled out still kicking because Joe and I are very proud of that. And the, the pro not the problem, but the mandate for still kicking from the Canadian network was they only wanted 30 minutes. Mm. And I knew there was a lot. We, we both did. We knew there was more material there. Mm-hmm. We brought in Luke Snalem, another one of our editors, and we really worked it. And as you see now, you've got like a 47 minute, right, Joe? 45 minute. Uh, yeah. I, I believe it's, it's around. 40 40 around I, I, I think it's 47 minutes because yeah. I think you asked me if I could make it an hour. 
a commercial hour. Yeah. For a commercial hour yeah. at first cut. I said I can make it forty-eight minutes. Yeah. And then I think you had Luke cut it down to forty-five, and then maybe yeah. we added something back in. I forget. Yeah. I forget because it was it happened over. You know, I think I I did, well I I know I did. I originally cut still kicking in twenty twelve, right? Yeah, initially, yeah, but the, yeah, yeah, and then I think Luke did a a, a tweak on it in twenty eighteen. Hmm. So there was a there was a long period of time. So the, there was a I cut a half hour version which aired in Canada, uh-huh. and we cut the longer version which never aired. But um, yeah, that's what I was going to say. Is this is the first time this has been seen this the full version of still kicking so again i'm really happy that you enjoyed it yeah very much yeah and there were there were quite a few uh they referenced quite a few other star trek actors that came from the the same uh uh theater background as them barry morse yep and um uh john colicos yeah i had no idea they had worked i had no idea they had worked with him that was like a revelation i was amazed yeah it was it was great. I mean, when every time they mentioned somebody, I was you know I was going on researching. You know, I tried to find, uh, you know, photos of everybody. And we had a actually we we had a Canadian researcher who also found some stuff because there were certain people I just couldn't couldn't find anything on. But it was um, I love that stuff. I love you know the um, the the radio, the world of radio. And uh, Tyrone Guthrie, who yeah. I'd seen on in film, but I didn't really know. But he was, you know, I I didn't I didn't know that he was really responsible for the National Theater in Canada, coming over from Scotland, and it was just it was a really cool project to work on. And one funny thing about about still kicking is I remember Joe, you'll you'll remember this. Our offices are right next to each other at Paramount, so Joe's in one at editing. I've got my office. And I'd come in and he'd have the two cameras side by side on the screen. Mm-hmm. You know, you'd see Shatner and Plummer split screen reacting to each other. And that's basically how the editor works. But I love the, if you watch, we decided to keep those in essentially. So you have the split screens because some, one of the greatest joys of that is watching the two of them react mm-hmm. and listen yeah. to each other. The laughter and the, like you said, the ease that they both have. Yeah. So I really think that split screen helps that. Yep. No question. And they're such great raconteurs, both of them. Yep. And, yeah. And they definitely, you know, they're, they're thinking back on when they were young and poor and hadn't met and made a name for themselves, but that's, you know, the struggle sometimes that's the, the greatest part of uh, your life <laughs> because you're looking yep. back when you were young yep. and the world was your oyster and everything was open yep. to you. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it also reminds everyone that Bill Shatner had a major acting career long before Star Trek arrived, which I think sometimes oh, yeah. gets, oh, which sometimes I think gets lost in the popular culture. Everybody identifies him as either Captain Kirk or Denny Crane or, you know, TJ Hooker, but With the guy from Priceline. Yeah. The Priceline right. guy, when he, I mean, he was get landing him for the original series was actually a coup. It was a big deal. Well, you know, it, if you watch, uh, the captain's close up on Shatner, which is also on this set. We interviewed Joe DeGosta, yep. who was the original uh, series casting director, mm-hmm. and he says in that interview that Shatner was like at that time was like a Steve McQueen, 
like a guy that was going to just break through television and become a Mm. major movie star. So yes, getting him for Star Trek was huge at the time. Yeah. Yep. And, you know, it's interesting, you know, having worked through all these, these uh, documentaries with Dave is you see uh, pretty much most of the captains, at least the four out of the five are, are very, um, uh, they're Shakespearean trained. They're classically trained actors. Mm-hmm. I mean, Scott Bakula is classically trained as well, but more of in a musical theater background. Uh, but you know, they they didn't necessarily envision being known as a Star Trek. Star Trek happens. They right. they they you know uh, Shatner uh, is very vocal in the captains and the captains' close ups. So, you know, he wanted to be like Lawrence o- Lawrence Olivier. Mm-hmm. You know. <laughs> And that's how he saw himself. And Patrick Stewart, you know, as you know, was, you know, with uh, Rada for, you know, up until TNG came out. I mean, that's what he mostly did was was Shakespeare. And, and you know, and Kate has that same background and Avery. And, and the, the cool thing is, you know, like Dave, we were talking recently about this is that um, Avery and, and Bill both played Tamburlaine. You know, so they oh, have that's cool. this rich background. Yeah. yeah, Bill played on Broadway, didn't he? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Wonderful. One of the wonderful things about the Captain's documentary is that every one of the interviews feels different from the others. Like they don't, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. they don't, there's nothing cookie cutter. And I want, that goes to, toward the other projects you guys did too. Nothing feels the same. You guys kept a different feel for everything. Like it's nice to see Patrick in the English countryside his son stops by your kibitz with him a little bit, you know, um, Kate is in a Broadway theater and her niece mm-hmm. is there. Like it just, everything has a slightly different vibe to it. And there's nothing like straightforward and obvious in terms of Star Trek interviews. You know what I mean? Like where a lot of these things are very much connect dots, you know, how'd you get involved in Star mm-hmm. Trek? How do you feel about it now? That, that kind of thing. You, you guys definitely <laughs> took a different approach and nowhere is that more apparent than the Avery Brooks interview. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'd love to talk a bit more about the Avery Brooks interview because that's just like ingrained in my brain. It's so different. It's jazzy. And it really, it's, oh, yeah. <laughs> it's a side of Avery that's like, I feel like it's more Avery than he otherwise typically shows. You know, he shines through a bit as Cisco, but I feel like here he's really, really being Avery. And I would love to hear from you guys about like, what was it like doing that interview? I mean, both Avery and Bill have you know, really unique and big personalities. So how did the two of them work together? Well, Dave will have to answer that because I was not involved when they filmed it. I only got to work with, I only got to work with the footage after the fact. Well, all I can say is that I, I formed a bond with Avery that day, which lasts to, to the present day. Um, he's an incredibly warm guy and um incredibly intelligent and so bill and avery just vibed on an intellectual level immediately and we filmed that at avery's house i mean he was kind enough to let us into his home Uh to shoot that but the two of them really had a mutual respect so much so that as we were proceeding with the editing avery called us uh, we were back in LA and said, you know, I, I have a perfect guy to do the music for you. Because as you, as you see, Avery's an incredible musician. 
And he has a, a jazz uh, musician who was in his group at the time, a- Andy Milne. So Avery essentially found us our, our score. Hmm. And not only that, he flew out. Andy and, and Avery were both based in New York. They both flew out to L.A. for the recording of the score. Uh, and so Avery ended up becoming not just an interview subject, but the uh, music supervisor to the film as well. Oh, that's so that's cool. So cool. Yep. yep. And you can see that again, and I, I'll push these because I love them on the box set. Uh, the the five half hours, what we're talking about, the close-ups. The, mm, the close-ups, close-up. yep. Yeah, that's where we get the chance to just specific – because the, the 97 minute, as Joe will attest to – was difficult because you're trying to weave in these five different captains, six. And, uh, you know, it's very difficult to jump from one to the other with the half hours afforded us was just a pure, solid focus on each one. And I have to say, just my personal favorite is the Avery Brooks half hour. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as is mine. And it's what actually led me to uh, – you know, when Dave told me that he was thinking of doing a Deep Space Nine documentary, uh, having worked on Avery's Half Hour, that was really my introduction to Deep Space Nine. Um, you know, I didn't, when TNG originally came out, I think I saw the first couple episodes. I was in college and it just didn't grab me. It wasn't the original series. And then, you know, of course we did uh uh Chaos on the Bridge and I understand why I didn't care for the first couple season <laughs> but there are there are great tng episodes and i i'm more, much more familiar with it now but i did i didn't watch uh d space nine and one of the reasons was i was always I, when that show came out i was a working editor and i would work crazy hours i'd go walk in at 10 in the morning and i just didn't know when i was going to leave work so i just i didn't i couldn't really keep up with tv especially especially serialized tv at that time so I just, it kind of fell off my radar. Uh, same with Voyager at the time. Um, so when I was watching Avery's interview and all the, the rest of the, the uh, DS9 cast talking about Avery and working on the show, it really, there was something there that really, you know, as a filmmaker, I'm always looking for great stories. It's not really, I'm not trying to be a fan. I'm trying to just tell a, a really interesting story that, you know, I figure if it, if I I'm happy with it, I I know there's going to be other people out there that are going to happy be happy with it. I'm not going to please everybody, but you know, I got to please myself and Absolutely. start somewhere. No question. And so uh, that's where I was with with that that Avery half hour, and that was something that was started by Kevin Lane, who Dave mentioned earlier. He put together the original builds of the the five half hours. Um, but they weren't complete and there were things that worked and there were things that, that didn't. And the first one that, uh, Dave and I jumped into was to rework the Avery, uh, episode. And that was a, it was a great episode. It was a head scratcher. It was really, uh, cause just the way that Avery phrases things and, and you really have to listen to him because he, he has a lot of cultural references in a, in a sentence, but in a nonlinear way. <laughs> very apropos and um to really try and figure out a way to make that make sense to the casual viewer was 
and represent what Avery was trying to say right. was a big challenge. Big challenge. But I, I think we got it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I'm happy about oh, it. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's great. And one of the, it also showcases the fact that Shatner is a very good interviewer because a lot of people would probably get thrown by that kind of somebody responding to them yeah. like that. And he mm-hmm. kind of just ran with it. Mm-hmm. No, he ran with everything. And, and what's amazing is that he interviewed both Kate Mulgrew and Avery Brooks on the same day. Wow. wow. Uh, and, and we had just flown in from back to Manhattan from England where we interviewed Patrick. Yeah. I think he mentioned. So in the talk interview. about exhausting. Yeah. And those were pretty intense interviews as, as you've seen. Yep. Yep. So yeah, Bill can, and, and, you know, I don't know if you saw, he, he did a show uh, called raw nerve, yep. which was excellent. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. All interviews. So yeah, he's something else. Yeah. He's definitely got a gift for it. There's no question. Yep. Yep. You know, I, I definitely, uh, you know, I had my hands on all of those close-ups, but the, the three that uh, that I did primarily with Dave were the the Avery, the Patrick, and the Kate, and I love those all three of those episodes, and they're all so unique, as you were saying, yep. just about the not just the interview style, but just the, the each story. There, they, they didn't feel they feel they representative of who we were talking to, in mm-hmm. my opinion. Yeah, and I think his. Pat, Bill's personal rapport with Patrick and Kate really comes through too. He, yeah, he clearly yeah, knows they knew, both of them they knew well. Each other better, right? Yeah. Than Bill. Bill didn't know Avery that well, right? And, and she turns the tables and, and becomes the uh, questioner on Bill. Yeah, which is a great part of the thing. I love mm-hmm. that. But uh, working on that Avery, that was you know, like I said, that's what um, got me interested in Deep Space Nine. So when Dave said, "Hey, would you want to come on?" to work on Deep Space Nine, I was like, yeah, I think this one's going to be really interesting. I didn't know it was going to take seven years, but. Uh, <laughs> well, and of course, Avery's was, not in the DS9 documentary. No, unfortunately not. not. Uh, though um, he and I spoke a lot uh, during it, and uh, he spoke with Ira as well. He just felt that the half hour said, the, the captain's close-up half hour episode, said everything he wanted to say about Star Trek. He was so happy with it mm-hmm. that there was just nothing else he really wanted to say. Mm-hmm. So we respected that. And I think we we represented him quite well in the film. Absolutely. And and he is in the film, just not with new interviews. Uh-huh. Oh, sure. Cool. Good point. You yeah. know, and, and, and so his presence is there. And then everybody that works with him has quite a lot to say about him mm-hmm. and so um you know and i think uh, and and it's mostly good so you know his his voice is heard yeah. or felt oh yeah his you know? he has a presence throughout the documentary absolutely yeah absolutely so one of the things i've been dying to ask you guys about is just sort of the unique challenges um and the unique little easter eggs that we might not know about because they are on the the um the, the cutting room floor as it were um, I think the DS9 doc is a great place for us to talk about this because it's my understanding that there is just an insane amount of footage that you guys shot for the documentary. Like you could have made five documentaries out of the footage you had kind of a thing. Well, we 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 have another one coming out of it. <laughs> uh, really? For sure. Which is which uh, we were planning on uh, expanding the writer's room. That's always been something that Ira oh, yeah. uh, has been very passionate about, uh, not just as a documentary per se, but as a, a 
as a teaching tool to aspiring writers to see what it's like to sit in a, a uh, television writer's room. That was one of my favorite parts yeah, me too. of the documentary. Me too. Yeah. It, it was such a cool, like you said, it's like a learning experience, even for, you know, I'm not necessarily an aspiring screenwriter, but seeing how the sausage is made in terms of the story and watching people bounce ideas off of each other and they know the characters so well. And it's like, oh, then he would do this. And then they'll take that bit and they'll go write it up. It was so cool to see that. So yeah. Uh, yeah. do you have any more um, info on like, what what does this new documentary tell us? Well, we're working on it now. It's essentially the, it's the writer's room. And it will also include some of what you also alluded to, which are some of the interviews and things we've shot that couldn't make it into the uh, to the film, to what we left behind. But I have to tell you, if you've just seen what what you we, we left behind uh, streaming, you really need to see the Blu-ray. Uh-huh. Because, Joe, how many hours of special features do we have on that? We have... Oh, I, a I, lot. I, I, I feel Power. like we have uh, almost another film. Yeah, you do. Yeah. Yeah, you that do. should be called wow. what, we left, what We Left Out of What We Left Out <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. And so on top of that, we have, we have the full writer's room, which, gonna, which we're going to release, plus more excerpts. I mean, we were shooting, as Joe said, we started uh, Get a Life, uh, sorry, not Get a Life, after Get a Life, we started What We Left Behind in 2013. So essentially, I knew that Bill Shatner wasn't going to want to do another Star Trek documentary because we had just finished Chaos on the Bridge, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and he had a, and he that made sense because he had a tie with the, that cast. You know, he was in the movie Generations, right. Right. but he really had no tie to Deep Space Nine at all. Right. So I had been fortunate enough to meet Iris Stephen Bear when we were doing uh, Avery Brooks's Half Hour, and I said, Ira, what do you think? And so, without any funding or anything, we just started shooting. And so we would shoot, like in 2013, we interviewed everybody, we did roundtables, and then when we went back to L.A., we'd film uh, other people uh, at their homes, we came up with the great idea of the writer's room, so we were accumulating footage, not uh, seven years you know, straight, uh-huh. but picking it up and leaving it, leaving it I, off. Yeah, those, those first two years that I got involved, 2012, 2013, we were... Sh- shooting interviews to fill out the half hours right for the captain's close-ups as well as filming interviews for deep space nine you know because yeah. we were multitasking you know, yeah to be sure. yeah you know we're we we don't have a we don't have the big budgets so we have to maximize our time Absolutely. and get and when people are there we get them <laughs> if, well, they're, if they're willing what really changed deep space nine was when we decided to go crowdfunding uh. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, Indiegogo, and we were told even by Indiegogo, because you know, uh, Deep Space Nine is always the engine that could. You know, it's <laughs> it never gets its respect. Yeah. I don't think. Yeah. <laughs> and I was a fan. That's it, what Ira will tell you, anyway. And and I believe <laughs> it because I was I was a fan in the '90s, wondering why isn't this show even more popular? Yeah, I couldn't get it. But even Indiegogo was like, yeah, you guys will do okay. You'll be lucky. You know, set your goal at $150,000 and 30-day campaign. Well, we launched the campaign, and we made that in one day. Yeah. Yeah. Incredible. And we ended up somewhere around $700,000. So then we knew, okay, this is not just going to be an hour uh, quickie documentary. This is the real thing. 
And so we actually went back, built a stage. Uh, Herman Zimmerman designed it for us. We hired Jonathan West, the original DP. And uh, we interviewed everybody on a, on a soundstage. Yeah. For almost and two we weeks. Went back and did it. Hmm. So in, on top of everything we already had, and we went back and redid it again. So, uh, yeah, I think we could be doing uh, what we left behind sequels for the next 10 years. So for the, for the, the next one that you're talking about coming out, is that yeah. going to be using, using footage completely that you've already shot or do you plan to shoot more? We, we possibly, we, 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 we're, we've talked about it. Um, we're not sure. Some of us, uh, if our core team of Ira, Dave, myself, Kai DeMello Folsom and Luke Snalem, we've had discussions uh, about maybe breaking up the writer's room with the writers talking about that time, but that might not happen. We're not sh sure, but it'd be great. We do have interviews with the writers talking about that time because we shot film their interviews after we had done the writer's room uh -huh. uh, with Ron and Renee and, um, and uh, Robert Hewitt Wolf. Uh, oh, seeing more footage from Renee would be amazing. Yeah. Um, so we've talked about that, but we've also talked about including uh, in between. So it's not just all writers room wall to wall because that was a that was a, well, it was six and a half hours of shooting, but it was there were six and a half hour production of, of time. But I think we have about five hours straight so we're, we're, we're trying to figure it out but we've also talked about um just saving some of the interview excerpts and putting that uh on its own disc that goes with it sure um so you know we're we're, we're right now we're, we're tackling the writer's room and trying to get that to be as as uh, solid as possible and then we'll figure out all the the extra features but those extra features would also include longer excerpts of the interviews, you know, I mean, uh, Renee Aubergenois gave us a, a four hour interview, yeah. a three wow. and a half hour interview wow. of, you know, you probably saw maybe 10 minutes of him in the yeah. film, you know, and, and uh, Armin, Shimmerman. Uh, Armin Shimmerman gave us a four hour interview. And we have three, three inter different interviews with Sirach Lofton and, and just, there was a lot there and we couldn't get it all in. Right. So, We'd like people to be able to see it. And it, I think if you look at the uh, the Shot Factory box set of the Captain's Collection, we have a bonus disc with some great uh, extended interviews from those, the previous, uh, from Chaos on the Bridge and from the Captains. And that's so we're hoping to do that kind of thing with uh, the writer's room. Would, would this be another Indiegogo thing? You know, it's possible. It's possible. Uh, we're yeah. right now we're really in the creative stage okay. um, of it, but given the response the last time, I would not rule it out. All right, very cool. Yeah, because that's the other thing. I mean, people really seem to be happy with what we left behind, and definitely, I think people feel that they, are, for the most part, because I see the comments that they were proud and happy to have backed it. Oh yeah, you know, they feel that they they got. Uh, you know, a great value there. And I, and I just want to jump to, I mean, the other, the, the crowdfunding saved us on the Leonard Nimoy film for the love of Spock mm -hmm. uh, yeah. because we didn't have a studio. I mean, as huge and iconic as Leonard was, 
it was still not easy to find a studio to put up the money hmm. to, to do it. And so I convinced Adam Nimoy, I said, let's try this Kickstarter. I didn't even, I didn't know anything about it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we just took a chance. And, we, and on that one, we ended up raising uh, 600,000. Wow. Yep. Yeah, actually, so thank, thank you for the fans. 60,000. How much, Joe? 660,000. 662,000 was the Kickstarter. uh, Good memory. And the campaign. Uh, All the money goes on the screen, guys. I mean, these things are very high. Oh, God. (laughs) That's not enough. I mean, I don't want to get into specifics, but (laughs) that doesn't cover the film. I mean, as you probably can see, our films are, the production value is quite high. Yes, Yes, very. And also, remember, we're not part of CBS, so we, you know, we need to license those clips. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's something I never considered. Yeah. Do you have to pay oh, yeah. licensing fees for that kind of oh, stuff? Oh, yeah. We do indeed. Yeah. yeah. Incredible. Wow. Yeah. But I will say they're very good to us. They're very good to us. Yeah. Yeah. And they gave yeah. you guys access okay. to those, the, the, the film elements for DS9 so you could convert them to HD. And that, oh, and that alone. Yeah. Joe, you want to talk a little bit about how what, what an undertaking that was? Yeah, by oh, all means. God. Yeah. Um, well, you know, originally we figured we'd get like maybe we'd do five minutes of uh hd footage for for what we left behind because there was just no way we could afford to do everything Mm -hmm. uh that we were going to use and you know i mean as as an editor you will see it in the film i mean every time you do a montage of multiple clips and and there's a few montages like that you're you're you know some of the times you're touching 40 different episodes and uh, for, for only a second, uh, uh, maybe less than a second of a clip. Mm -hmm. And so it's easy to, to, for things to add up at the end of the day, we had 22 and a half minutes of, uh, of deep space nine footage in that film. And uh, you know, to (laughs) when Ira we were in we were at the uh star trek star trek las vegas convention in 2018 and we had we had pretty much we were very close to picture lock i think we had announced we had a picture lock but we didn't have a picture lock yet uh <laughs> and That's because right. things are always changing because you're always tinkering yep and ira just said you know what i think uh i think we have to do all the footage in hd and we're like okay and uh that this was two months before we were supposed to premiere it in birmingham and i was like well i don't think we're gonna have all that footage but okay and we didn't have all that footage but we had we we did what we could and we premiered a version of the film but we didn't get all that footage until january of 2019 and what entailed to to get all that footage was we had to go through the scripts and figure out what the scenes were for the footage that we were using and tabulate all that and then send that to cbs and then they gave it to their researcher who would say all right well these these scenes were filmed on this day and these scenes were filmed on this day for each episode and i think we have 90 episodes in that film and <laughs> what they said was, okay, we're not going to find the shots for you. We're just going to request the film rolls from those days that you have some, something that you're using. And we're going to scan it. And you're going to come pick it up. 
put it on a drive and take it back with you and uh and we did and we replaced the footage the low res footage with the high res footage hmm. and that undertaking we you know we had i think uh we were going into mix in february also they had to give us the split audio for the episodes mm-hmm. so they didn't give us the sound for the film and so we had to uh, and primarily i had to uh overcut all the picture and line up all the sound uh-huh. and then wow. prep it to go up to skywalker uh to do our sound mix and the composers dennis mccarthy and kevin kiner who were scoring our film, they were making revisions based on our notes as well as us now having the split audio so we could take out the the series music and have uh, Dennis McCarthy uh, knock off his own music. His own. So, yeah. we, didn't have to pay, so we didn't have to pay licensing. For <laughs> oh, that's awesome. So it was, <laughs> that's amazing. It, was, it was a crazy, crazy experience. And that was just one component. While, while I was doing all that, Luke and Kai were busy doing all the animation. Uh, we had a, 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 a great artist, Magdalena, and I'm blanking on her last name, but she, she did all the, the renderings, all the sketches. And Kai and Luke uh, did all the 3D animation on that writer's room stuff. So they were doing that while I was working on on getting all that footage overcut. And then Kai did the initial color pass on all the HD footage. And then we brought it into the company where I work. And Jonathan West sat with me and Luke and Kai. And we went through every frame of all that uh, HD footage to get it to be representative of what Jonathan thought it should be. Very cool. Did you get any guidance yeah. from CBS on how to do it? Because obviously they remastered the uh, TNG. We dealt with the, um, when we started the process, yeah, we reached out to uh, Mike and Denise Okuda. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And they gave us, they gave us some guidance uh, about that. But I mean, really we, 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 we didn't do a lot like we didn't have a lot of the visual effects other than the sacrifice of angels which is something that was not an hd scan that was something where um a uh uh one of the compositors that worked for luke will probably correct me but i think i think it was image d or maybe that's the voyager one i forget where this guy mojo uh, Leibowitz. Uh consulted with uh luke and luke kind of took that and mojo had the the 3d scene files and there was a guy in the uk dave clark who also had that and um dave clark ultimately did most of that work but he he basically rendered was able to render those 3d scene files into uh hd because they're resolution independent meaning even though they were Back in the, the the 90s when they were made, they were came out as NTSC SD video. Right, right. They there was no defined resolution, and they had a lot of information. So that's how we were able to get that that stuff in the film. But we we stayed away from a lot of visual effects. There are some uh, transporter scenes and laser blasts, and we we uh, we put together. Uh, that stuff on our own but we didn't have a lot of that in the film most of it is people talking and walking hmm. 
Well, as is often the case when things finally get bumped up to HD, the, it, the footage was a revelation, and I think it got yeah. a lot of people very excited and whetted people's appetites to see it. The entire series remastered in HD, but I don't know if that's a viable thing. But uh, it was spectacular to look at. We know there's there's people at CBS that would love to see that happen. And, uh, I don't know, you know. But, you never know. Uh, you it, never know. Yeah. You never know, but uh, uh, you know, you, 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 it, it takes more than uh, uh, a few people in the organization to to come to a consensus on that. So we're keeping our fingers crossed. I I definitely would say that it's closer to happening than it was before we did it. <laughs> but I don't know what that means. Well, you kind of hey, that's something. You that. kind of it's kind what you did is almost a proof of concept, really. Totally. So, yeah. Not not only the concept of actually doing the work, but concept of showing how much like you talked about the crowdfunding, how successful that was, showing how much support there is out there and that fans will put their money where their mouths are. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, the the thing that probably worked against the our remastering of Deep Space Nine and Voyager, at least as of now, is that the home video market doesn't really exist the way it did ten years ago. Right. And yeah. you know, yeah. when they did uh, the Next Generation, I don't think it resulted in the profits that they hoped to see. Although that doesn't take into account streaming, which is a whole new thing. That's not not for us anymore, but that's a big seismic shift. And the fact that that future proofed the original series and the next generation, they still hold up for another 50 years easily, I would I would think at that resolution. So it does seem uh, it would be nice for CBS to recognize the value in in, uh, and do DS9 and, and Voyager, give them the same treatment. Because I think it will, there, there, are, there is an audience that's yet unborn that will enjoy it. So I feel like you know, going to things get sort of harder to in terms of making these things HD as you go into the future. So DS Nine, probably Voyager is even another step above that. Um, but are there technical reasons why it would be more difficult? Was this all shot on film, DS Nine and Voyager? Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, not the special effects. No. Special effects were done well. Voyager, they were. It was a lot of CGI. So when they did Next Generation and when they did the original series, those effects were redone. Right. So that, and then another factor is whenever a shot's going to be used as an effect, it gets separated from the reel mm-hmm. that it's on oh. and put onto a special effects reel where work is get done. So sometimes it's harder to find those elements. You'd have to so, go track down those separated out pieces. And sometimes and the records just aren't that great. Yeah. yeah, and it's hard to to find to find find those things. Interesting. And, um, and when you figure that you know a show shoots for seven days, and you know they shoot so many so many reels of it, and you do that over uh, twenty six episodes a year for seven years times every show uh, every series, yeah. you know it's a lot of material. Yeah. It's a lot of bookkeeping. I mean, yeah, we have we have the the four hundred rolls of film that we have is uh, takes up about uh, seventy terabytes. <laughs> Whoa! Damn. <laughs> you know, and that's before we've even started to work. Yeah, on it. yeah, yeah. Incredible. Damn. Incredible. <laughs> hmm. 
So uh, maybe can we talk about the Voyager documentary a bit? Yeah, sure. So the Voyager that is not that does not exist, the documentary that does not exist yet. But um, I'm so curious about how this is going, um, like you know, scheduling. What how is it going to be similar or different to the DS9 doc? And is there a possibility of doing any remastered stuff at all, like you did with the with the, what we left behind? Well, I'll, I'll just say that uh, that speaks again to our great relationship with CBS because they were kind enough to let us go along, tag along on the Star Trek cruise in March wow. of this year, which was, which is Voyager's 25th anniversary year. Mm-hmm. You guys know. And um, we were able, given unlimited access to that cruise, we shot for eight days, seven or eight days. Seven, seven days. Seven, seven days. days. Yeah, seven days of shooting, eight days on the cruise. And then uh, returned March 8th. And within a week, the cruise industry was shut down. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So the original plan had been start with the cruise. Then we were booked to uh, go to Germany. And then Mm. we were booked to go to England. Yeah. Destination Star Trek. And then probably would have ended up in Vegas. But as you also know, all of those have been canceled. Yeah. So thankfully... We have the only footage of the Voyager reunion. So all the only one that happened was on that cruise. And we got most of them. And mm-hmm. what we've been doing since in this world of COVID is we have been doing individual interviews, socially distanced and safely. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've interviewed several of the main cast separately. Uh, we just did an interview with Brandon Braga, a nice. very, very extensive one. We plan to interview uh, Jerry Taylor, Rick Berman, and the and get each one of the cast members individually. So it's going it's going to take a little longer than it normally would have, but we'll get there. We'll get there. Yeah, yeah. It's really it's really about uh, just how comfortable people are feeling about uh, shooting now, and I think people are gradually get, getting a little better with it. So. Um, and then, of course, the big question is, when will there be another convention? I mean, yeah. what we'd love yeah. to do is film them all on stage and give them that victory lap. Uh, but I don't know if that's when. It will happen at some point. It's just a question mm-hmm. of when. As far as how will it be different? Well, just the fact that they're two different series and two different casts. So, so that alone yeah. changes the nature of it. Um you know, what Brennan uh, did say to us was, you know, what are you going to do to uh, top the writer's room? And so <laughs> we don't have an answer for that. But we're working. That's we're a good. That's a challenge. Then That's good. And to answer yeah. your question, too, about the HD. Absolutely. I would love to do it again. But I have a feeling it would take another crowdfunding campaign. Yeah. Because sure. The people yeah. need to prove. I can't convince CBS that oh, 100% they want to see it. It's almost like they need to they need to help us show CBS that the desire is there. So yeah, I would I'd love nothing better because especially now we have the team. We know how to do mm-hmm. it. How to how to upres this footage. It's time consuming but it's not impossible. Keep this in mind. There's, you know, five series from the Rick Berman era. And three of them are, are in HD. So, right, you know, the I, Enterprise uh, was shot with HD. Right, and, right. And, and now there's a fourth that has 22 minutes in HD for people to see. So <laughs> it would be really, really nice if we could get 
Voyager some dude yeah, that way. Absolutely. So like so a lot of the documentaries that you guys have done, I'm thinking right now of the, the what we left behind and Chaos on the Bridge in particular, yeah. are they're really um like hard hitting. They are sort of exposés in a way yeah. and you guys don't really pull a lot of punches or you know it appears that you don't in terms of really showing the the battle scars and really showing you know the bad things in addition to the good things well, that's what makes them interesting ultimately uh-huh. because otherwise you have the tv shows yeah. you can watch the shows ad nauseum you know watch them over and over again you have the dvd interview you know the interviews that people would do for the, the, DVD the bts extra yeah you know, it's usually a lot of platitudes. Yeah. So yes. our task is especially with Bill. I'll give you that story for Chaos on the Bridge. I said, Bill, we should do a documentary on the first three years of Next Generation. He said, why? <laughs> what, 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 what's, mm-hmm. the, what's the big deal? So I told him a little bit about it. He's like, well, that does sound pretty interesting. Maybe there's something there. And we were fortunate enough in the first round of interviews to interview, interview Maurice Hurley. Maury Hurley, is amazing in the interview. Away. And it was only, I think, the second interview he had ever given on Star Trek. Wow. And Bill was floored when he heard of all the drama, of everything that was going on behind the scenes. Yep. He had no idea. And that's what really sparked Bill's curiosity. So then it was no holds, holds barred. And that's Bill's nature anyway. He wants the truth. And what's really nice about, and I'm not trying to sound like a commercial, it's just the truth. Uh, we, we intentionally put all of Maury's interview on this Captain's Collection box yeah, set. It's fantastic. It, isn't it? And the two of them, yeah. but see, when you know the backstory, the two of them were friends. Yep. They had, they had uh, pro- I think Maury had worked with Bill on his Tech War series. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Tech Wars. Yeah. So they hadn't seen each other for 20 years, but it was like they hadn't missed a day. The minute they started talking. So I was really proud of that because I became to, uh, very cl- uh, close to Maury and his wife and respected him greatly. And he he absolutely enjoyed Chaos on the Bridge. And again, he passed away not, not that long after. Yeah. I don't think he gets enough credit for his contributions to Trek because he left right before the show really started to ascend. Right. But a lot of the key right. components yeah, I think, of yeah, the series really, were there. At least it memorializes that. Yeah. I think. Yeah. You, yeah. you know, um, as an editor, you know, you're always excited when you see people that have a great energy and storytelling. And in chaos, we have three people that. I mean, there were a lot of great interviews, but three people that really injected a lot of energy, and and I tended to use a lot of one in, in this stuff that I edited on that film was uh, David Gerald in the first part, mm-hmm. the first 20 minutes, uh, Maury Hurley in the next 20 minutes, and then Ira at the yeah, end. Yeah. And they all kind of serve the same. I mean, they're, they're all talking about different things and stuff, but they have the energy that sort of helps propel things. And, no doubt. Uh, yeah. They're, and you can, you can, I, you know, I listened to all those interviews over and over and they there are just so many little turns of phrases that they all say that it's just they're they're all such unique personalities too yeah yeah you you guys not being officially licensed documentarians from cbs you can delve into areas that the 
as you alluded to a little while ago, that the official behind the scenes stuff cannot get into. Like for a long time, there was an aversion to like talking badly about Gene at all. Right. Mm -hmm. And you guys kind of let it out a little bit more than is typically done. Well, in a and we did try to balance it too. Yes. You know, really, and just make it honest. Yep. And that that's I think we did do that. I because look, Gene Roddenberry changed my life. Oh, me too. Yeah, all of them. All everybody on this this call. Yeah. And and we have to recognize that. So we were very very cognizant of that. At right, Joe, at all times of balance. Definitely, you know, you know. I, we we tried to balance it. People, I, I've heard criticism. People say, "Oh, it's a hit job on on Gene." Mm-hmm. And it's not. No, it's really not. We no, have not at a lot all. of different people talking about him, and they're telling their their perspective. And we tried to, for every time somebody slammed him, we tried to counter with somebody praising mm-hmm. him, and not just as a platitude, but you know, showing that showing that he was a complex man, yep. and. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, he he came up with the idea that you know people were perfect in the 21st century, but he was a man of the 20th uh-huh. century, with all his warts and you know all the good stuff and all the bad yep. stuff, and or or not or just gray stuff. And you know, I think people appreciate stories about people that are are complex and and have those the good side and the bad mm-hmm. side, because then it's, it's interesting. If it's always just, Oh, the, he was great and a visionary, you know, you can, I, I'm sure you can watch plenty of things that say that, but <laughs> yeah. I don't know how many people want to watch that. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. Well, anyway, that documentary chaos on the bridge is again, you guys totally shifted gears. It's completely different than the other work that you've done and, you know, incorporating all those animations to reenact scenes was fantastic because it, Tells you a fairly serious story, but it has a little bit of a lilt and a wink in the eye a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. And it, our, our biggest regret is that it couldn't have been longer because it's, it's especially that first 20 minutes is very fast. Yeah. But the whole thing, we had a mandate from our our buyer, our the Canadian, the Canadian network. Yeah, we didn't have a choice. That it had to, it had to be 58 yeah. minutes or 59 minutes. And oh. so uh, we, it would have been nice to beg them to let us make it a night because really it should have been a 90, a full length uh, feature length. But yeah, they wouldn't they wouldn't let us. You guys covered a lot of ground in that hour, though. <laughs> yeah, they moved. It moved. Yeah, it's tremendously entertaining. You know. Yeah. And uh, the one thing that. I find the, you know, Bill from the get-go, the first time I met Mr. Shatner was in Vegas, right before we started, he conducted an interview that we were setting up for. And I had already worked on it for about four or five months on his projects and he'd seen my work, but he walked into the room. It was introduced. I was introduced to him. He's like, he's like, Joe, so good to meet you. And he starts to tell, he goes, so what I see is country music, you know, ding, 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 ding. And I had no idea what he was talking about. He, he didn't give me any frame of, of that we were talking about chaos. I just was like, okay. It um, totally sure. worked. <laughs> but yeah, you know what? It injected a lot of energy yep. that helped us to go with that, the, the fast pace that we yep. went with. And, um, so I, you know, I got to give him those 
those, those props. I mean, he also wanted to call it Wacky Doodle, which I remember that. All that keen on, but as the name of the doc, yeah, yeah, that's the production company is called Wacky Doodle Production Company. <laughs> <laughs> but um, Chaos I, on the Bridge, a much it, better title. The term Wacky Doodle at least makes it into the film because of Maury Perry. right? <laughs> yeah, awesome. and there's a song, at, and there's a song at the end. Yes. Yeah, Steve, Steve Rankin and his and his uh, band did that. Yep. Yeah. It's funny because out of context, you know, if someone had never heard of this documentary and you described it as William Shatner talks about the first few seasons of The Next Generation set to country music, it, everyone would be like, what is this? But it works. It's, I, it's probably my favorite doc on the list. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, mine too. Yeah. It's so good. It was, it was a lot of fun to make. And uh, yeah, and yeah, it was great being able to bring the animation in. I think Dave and I had both... I, you know, because I, I watch a lot of docs as, as well as Dave, and, yeah. and that's sort of become the thing this last decade as well. But I've been watching documentaries for many years. And, and, yeah, um, now they're all using animation, but we were kind but, of really on the earlier yeah. side of it. I, I, I was influenced by the kid stays in the picture. Yeah, uh, yeah I love that. That, uh, that was a big one. Yeah. And then I had seen, um, I love uh, the ESPN 30 for 30s, and they did one on Bo Jackson mm -hmm. where they had used simpler animation. And I was like, oh, this is, I, and I, so I think I had proposed the idea, but Dave had also seen, uh, who was it? It was the music producer. Was it oh, David Geffen? Uh, yeah, David Geffen. There was a great sequence in there. I said, this is exactly what we could do with chaos. So we both kind of had the, the, the light bulb go off independently. Um, and then we uh, worked with uh, uh, one of our Canadian uh, collaborators uh, who is actually from Romania. Yeah. Decibel, and he hooked us up with, uh, uh, introduced us to the, the guy who did all the sketches and animations, this guy Aurelian in Romania. And that was, that was challenging. Because there was a, uh, even though he spoke English, there was some communication. There's a there's a scene where Maury Hurley is talking about uh, firing a writer, but it's coming. It's really coming from Gene. But you you see uh, uh, a portrait of Gene on the wall behind <laughs> him, <Yeah>. smiling, <laughs> and, and, and Maury's yelling at the writer, and in the in the animation. And I said, but. You, we got to have this, and I said we have to have this picture of Gene in the background to show to kind of show that it's really you know it's under his auspices, and he goes ah like Stalin. No. <laughs> <laughs> Not exactly, but okay. <laughs> the animations add so much to the piece. It's it was a wonderful decision, guys. Well, to, you know, the people, once again, it's people talking about something that happened mm -hmm. that was not filmed. And how do you get out of talking heads? Yep. So yeah, it, yeah. it made Bill, sense. That was Bill's mandate. No talking heads. Stay away from talking yeah. heads as much as you yep. can. Yep. You know, or, or, or just cut them really quick, which is yep. what we did. <laughs> yeah. And it, yeah, it's so thank you for, uh, for liking it. You know, absolutely. Um, does Bill have anything coming up that you guys can talk about? Um, you know, I I think he does. Um, unfortunately, with this whole uh, pandemic, I haven't seen him as often yeah. as I normally would. 
Uh, normally, I'd be over his house watching football, but of course, that's that's all been canceled. So, um, yeah, I, I'm sure, like everybody else, I mean, he's he's still, I know he's still working. I'm still talking to him, still talking to his office. Um, yeah, he has not slowed down at all. Yeah. He's he's a remarkable spirit. He really is. Like you watch him in Vegas. He's got more energy than anybody I've yeah, ever met. <laughs> and like he just he doesn't have a lot of the melodies most people his age have. Like like you watch him on stage in Vegas and he goes he walks back and forth. Yeah, mm-hmm. he really does. He never stops. He doesn't sit down. <laughs> like it's he's he's remarkable. Well, I know. I can tell you that he's he's constantly writing and practicing his his horsemanship. He's riding his horses all the time. Mm. So I think that keeps him yeah. young and active. He's an inspiration to us all. Yep, agreed. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, oh, and there's one other uh, on the special features. Even though I think you can find it on the, the web, there's a music video on there for Ponder the Mystery. Yes, from his album. That, uh, Bill did, yes, that Bill did with... Uh, Billy Sherwood and uh, we did we produced that music video and I will say there was a, always a one little sync issue that uh, got by us when we were rushing it out <laughs> and I fixed it so you can see that uh, in all its HD glory as well. Yeah. Oh, there's so many great you guys stuffed this thing with a lot of great extra features. This is not just here. Here, here have four documentaries. Good luck. You guys really tried to add value to it and, and they're all thoughtful extras too. They're not just thrown in there because you know. As I'm sure you both know, a lot of DVDs and Blu-ray sets these days have a lot of just EPK type stuff thrown on them. No, we spent a lot of time and thought. Uh, you and, did, and actually, all those special features, yep. we uh, Bill was involved in all of that. Uh, that when did we do that, Joe? Back in March. That yeah, was, yeah. When when yeah. everything was locked down, thank God Joe was able to get onto the lot and grab the drives before they shut the lot down. For oh yeah. I brought wow. everything back to my house. And in so we it was raining all the links of everything. Dave, call, Dave called me from from uh, Connecticut. Connecticut at uh, it was nine o'clock LA time, and he said, "Joe, Paramount's going to sh- lock the gates at eleven. Can you get over there?" <laughs> I live fortunately, I live close by, so I I I drove over in my mini, and uh, <laughs> uh, and I loaded up just a crazy amount of drives and brought them back to my house in the rain and uh, stored them. And uh, so when uh, shout asked uh, if we had any, how many, how many, if we had any new special features, we were able to, to access all that material. You're like, boy, do we? Yeah. 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 (laughs) And to their credit, they were interested, you know, they're, they're a great company. And then instead of just throwing these out bare bones, they're like, yeah, bring it on. We'll do a whole nother additional disc. It's a great set. Special Yeah. All right, guys. So the set is called the Captain's Collection. It's four discs. It's got the Captain's, Captain's Close-Up, Chaos on the Bridge, and Get a Life, which we did not touch on today, unfortunately. Tons of extras. And that you can get on Amazon as we speak for about 42 bucks. And exclusively through Shout Factory, you can get the five-disc special edition, which has all those extra interviews that we mentioned and the Gonzo ballet documentary. And that is through shout, like I said, and that is 74 98. Yep. And also through shout, you can get what we left behind. That's still, yep. that's right. You want all of those special features. Yep. Yeah. If you haven't seen that yet, please, <laughs> please check it out. It's, it's a wonderful love letter to a, 
have you have you seen all the uh, special features on what we left? Oh yeah, of course. Okay, cool. Yeah, there's some good stuff. Yeah, unbelievable. You guys, like I said, you guys put very thoughtful extras on your on your on your. Well, a lot of those things and what we left behind at one point they were all in the film, except for the 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 uh, the composer's chat that was done Mm -hmm. after the fact. Mm -hmm. But everything else at one point was was in the film and then out. Maybe back in and then mm. out. <laughs> no, but it makes for a richer experience when you buy buy a disc. You know, there's just so much to explore as opposed to, like I said, just some generic EPKs and and the title itself. So, yeah. Well, you know, we we all like to think of ourselves as storytellers that are making it, and you know, especially for what we left behind, we were working with one of the the best sort storytellers, Ira, and uh, you know, it was. They've all they're, they're all the projects are very. I, I didn't expect that I would have worked on so many Star Trek documentaries. Hmm. Uh, I couldn't I couldn't have foreseen that, but I'm very happy that I yeah. have because they've been as a filmmaker they've been very fun and rewarding experiences for me. Yeah, it's a fan's dream come true creatively. Yeah, yeah. guys, thank you so much for coming on. We really yeah, appreciate thank it. You. Yeah, it was really Thank awesome you. speaking to you both. And hopefully we can see you yeah. at a convention sometime in 2021. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Yeah. Let's hope. All right. Thanks All again. All right, guys. All Happy right, holidays. Thank you so much. All right. You, you too. too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.